Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. So, I went down to the post office, and it turns out it was those videos that I ordered for Richard about the Civil War. We love the Civil War. Monica, do you want us to take you home? Uh-huh. Or maybe to a galaxy far, far away. This week, the story is about those special, wonderful occasions when Star Wars pops up unexpectedly. I mean, it's one of the most influential films of all time, so it's really no surprise that other creators would want to pay tribute to the galaxy far, far away when they make their stuff. So I've made a, a personal master list of what I think are some of the best Star Wars references in popular culture. And I've got roughly 20 items over five categories. Uh, I should stress, this is just like a personal opinion-based list that I kind of came up with as a person who consumes a lot of popular culture. Absolutely, you're going you're gonna to find some that I've missed, some essentials to you. Uh, but as with so many things Star Wars, it's impossible to name them all because that's how ubiquitous it is. So, Ross, you were a little apprehensive about this as a theme. I wonder if you would maybe uh, chat about why. It was more so just difficulty pinpointing it. Uh, it's something where, as uh, dissimilar to a lot of people, I view the rest of pop culture through a Star Wars lens <laughs> as opposed to just pop culture encompassing Star Wars. And so uh, I think over time, because you pitched this one a while ago, I've been able to comprehend it a little bit better and to be able to make a bit better of kind of an understanding as to uh, what would be good references. And I have a couple, but not many. And so that's why I think this is a, a kind of a good discussion point because uh, Star Wars certainly does pop up uh, in a lot of pop culture. Uh, but I've always found myself to be a very passive consumer of a lot of pop culture. And I understand no more of it than I always feel like I should. Uh, because uh, like I was, I was literally, I was listening to a trivia match earlier. And uh, one of the questions was about Tony Todd in the movie Candyman, uh, okay. which is a horror movie from, I think, the 80s. I knew that. Don't know why. Don't know why at all. I hate horror movies, like with a passion. I've, I don't, I've never seen Candyman. I don't know what the cover of the movie looks like. I just knew that it was a horror movie and I knew Tony Todd was in Candyman. Just like I, I'm a very passive consumer of pop culture. Um, and so I, it just didn't, they don't pop up to me. I don't really think of these instances, but there have been a couple. And so I think as you also present these, I'll probably recognize a lot of these yeah. too, I assume. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what because, I mean, we've also consumed a lot of the same uh, content growing up. Yes. And I, on purpose, didn't give myself a whole lot of parameters here. I just, I recognize, as anyone does, that Star Wars is ubiquitous and it's it's really hard to avoid. This is kind of what makes it so confounding when somebody is like really proud to announce to you that they've never seen Star Wars. It's not so much an affront to their taste or, or it's not even a statement about them at all. It's just kind of this confounding thing where you wonder where their curiosities top out. Does that make sense? Where you're like, how, how have mm -hmm. you lived this long in the world and not at least wanted to know what some of those things mean? Um, and, and so as a result of that, some of my items on this list are like really fundamental and the entire reference itself is the thing and it's it's going to be seem so obvious and other ones are like really obscure, tiny little things that have just kind of like always been in my brain as examples of how you can be so subtle with a Star Wars reference 
and people will get it because that's the other thing about Star Wars is that it's so beloved and so well understood. I mean, by nobody more so than yourself. And so you can make a tiny little Star Wars reference uh, and for most people, it probably won't land, or maybe for a lot of people, it will. Um, you don't have to do this like big elaborate uh, spoof. Um, and yet, four of my uh, four of my items here tonight are spoofs, and I think I want to start with that category, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, that's one that I, I have not been into Star Wars spoofs as much as uh, just in, in general. I am into Star Wars. But that is definitely the richest area in the sense that it totally. is heavily, heavily spoofed, uh, just divert, like uh, overtly and yeah. like, directly. Yeah, I mean, there's a movie called Fanboys, which I've never seen. That's that's not in my list because I don't have any kind of personal attachment to it. But we've all seen like the poster for the movie Fanboys, which kind of comes from that scary movie, uh, not another teen movie ilk of parody film. And it seems to kind of revolve around just satirizing the concept of Star Wars through the lens of these Star Wars uh, nerds, not unlike you and I. Um, and so my first category is spoofs and the most essential, obvious uh, spoof. This is a thing that exists uh, irrespective of Star Wars as a result of Star Wars is, of course, the 1987 Mel Brooks movie Spaceballs. This is, I think, the most fundamental uh, uh, Star Wars result. It comes 10 years after the original Star Wars. And so it's kind of just after that first wave of people being obsessed with Star Wars and a little bit before it's clear that Star Wars is going to last forever and ever and ever. And yet they're able to commit an entire feature length of movie time to only making Star Wars jokes, full stop. The characters individually are Star Wars references. And it's kind of amazing they have that much foresight to look back only 10 years and be able to make this thing that's almost as timeless as Star Wars itself. Do you have any kind of affection for that movie? I know you and I watched it as kids. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times, but I really don't have uh, a huge adoration. I mean, Rick Moranis is fantastic uh, in everything that he does, but I mean, I, I enjoy the the jokes I, I enjoy how they're uh obvious but in the same sense they're some of the pioneers of a lot of the humor that we understand around star wars a lot of the things that we poke fun at about star wars comes from space balls right uh because they're just they're hammering home the the layups but also kind of creating some new ones and so uh no i've not had a massive affinity for it but it is obviously so brilliant in the way that it is constructed the character names uh and the way that they they do capture a lot of that uh the essence of what they're going for it's uh it, they they definitely cast it right as well well and because you and i are so in the weeds of star wars and we're so committed to being lovers of star wars sometimes we take it perhaps a little too seriously. Whereas this movie totally. this movie is able to say like, okay, guys, a couple of these things are absurd. And, yeah. And just uh, take a look. Chewbacca. Yes, exactly. So anyway. And what is it? Is it in Barf? Yeah. And what is Barf? Is Barf, it's Barf, John's, that's John Candy. And he is essentially Chewbacca, but like as Bill, a dog. Bill Pullman's dog, like his, his like sheep dog. Yeah. He looks like, um, 
the the dog from the the Looney Tunes cartoon almost. Right. So uh, that is a good transition to uh, the next very popular Star Wars spoof, which also uses the dog as the Chewbacca, and that's of course the Family Guy trilogy, where they remade the entire original trilogy of Star Wars uh, through the titles Blue Harvest, Something Something Dark Side, and It's a Trap, and so. This started as a really like broad concept, and I don't exactly know how they pulled it off legally other than that, I mean, I know parody is allowed a certain amount of leeway uh, in in terms of uh, just the legalities of, of copyright, um, but they essentially remade the entire original trilogy of Star Wars through the Seth MacFarlane machine, and it's kind of impressive and they managed to do it without it seeming like really boring and like the jokes are all tired like they made these specials decades after those movies came out and it was funny I guess because it was suddenly family guy jokes as much as it was anything else and family guy always uh satirizes popular culture that was the big thing I think with the the blue harvest trilogy is that it it really was family guy humor so it was a new kind of humor put into Star Wars but it was that same story but with a, a different style of humor and so a lot of the time I'll like oh that doesn't capture the vibe of Star Wars I mean that's not what you're going for with no. this you're going for the story of Star Wars in this case but with obviously some sillier twists and turns and it is a spoof of course but it does allow it to be told in a really fun new lens because the humor is so much more crude and yeah. it allows you to be more ridiculous and outlandish and you're not taking it seriously, no matter what, there's nothing to take seriously. And the fact that it's a cartoon, uh, it, that adds another element to it that you're able to do some pretty outlandish things. And so it, uh, it that definitely pushes the boundaries of what you're going for with Star Wars. So no complaints on that. Well, and it's kind of a, a, a spiritual sister to uh, what Robot Chicken did with Star Wars. And that's the next thing on my list. And in fact, they did it first, which was, again, an elaborate... <clears throat> fully committed parody of essentially all of Star Wars, but rather than using, uh, you know, the Family Guy animation, they use the Robot Chicken stop animation. And they have the advantage of Star Wars being one of the most heavily merchandised uh, uh, franchises ever. And their whole thing is using pre-existing action figures. And so they're able to essentially make funny, raunchy Star Wars using the toys that you also have in you know the uh, the toy box in your in your basement closet and so that's kind of cool and i i didn't really ever have an enormous uh, attachment to robot chicken i've i've seen a lot of family guy cuz i'm a man of a certain age um i think robot chicken has sort of gone away but there's a totally different and very impressive kind of comedic ingenuity to to that and in particular I think the legacy of Robot Chicken's Star Wars interpretation is their Palpatine stuff. When when they're doing Emperor, it's like it's totally off the wall and hilarious. Yeah, go for Papa Palpatine. Right. Uh, yeah, Papa Palpatine <clears throat> and Boba Fett being a total idiot, ladies' man, like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> those are both really, really like I, I'm not I'm not a Robot Chicken fan either uh, per se, but I definitely respect the the genius behind it. And I do know some of the classic Star Wars bits because I'd say even maybe more so than anything, they're the the pioneers of the the prequel meme. You could almost wow, say. that's a really really great observation. 
And uh, I, I think they probably are. And even though it starts with some of the original trilogy stuff, uh, Palpatine being at the center of all that certainly is consistent. And it is this spoof on him just saying and doing the stuff that he does in it and just making making just clear observations. Totally. Yes, that's so funny. That's so true. And, and listen, the the last spoof is one that I wonder if maybe you you wouldn't have thought of because I had to go outside the box in order to retrieve this one. But it's one of if we're talking about where Star Wars crops up outside of Star Wars, it's one of the most important ones to you and me. And it's two different song parodies by the wonderful Weird Al Yankovic. And the first one was yeah. the song Yoda to the tune of Lola by the Kinks, and the second one, the saga begins which is uh, to the tune of American Pie by Don McLean, and it's a retelling of uh, The Phantom Menace. Those two songs were our favorite songs as nerdy little children. Like we could, I, and I think the magic of Weird Al to a nerdy little kid who discovers him is you didn't realize that you were allowed to do that with music before you've heard songs, before you've liked songs before, but you're like, oh, okay, that kind of changes everything. I didn't know that this was allowed, that you're able to blend this many things that I love all at the same time, and it kind of melts your brain. That's the magic of Weird Al. Oh, absolutely, especially when you've heard the song before. Yes. And it's just totally, like American Pie was a song that we knew because mom had played it in the car uh, and, or we'd heard it on the radio or whatnot, but that was so impressive. Like I, I didn't know the song Lola, uh, when I was a kid, but it was so cool to see that song transform. And that is one, I mean, Weird Al has a, a ton of masterpieces, but that, yeah. that is of course one of them. Uh, and Yoda is super catchy. I still catch myself uh, doing, I saw the little runt sitting there on the log. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so, it's so appropriate. Well, it must help that you have a pet named Yoda. Like that must appear that in your, in your life. I, I do uh, have the opportunity to, to call her the little runt sitting there on the cushion or something. You're, you're right that, uh, that it's magical to hear a Weird Al song of a song that you recognize. But I would argue it's just as magical when the inverse happens when, and this doesn't really happen once you get to be a certain age and you've experienced enough popular culture, but as a little kid and you hear Weird Al do it first and then you hear the original version. And so, in some ways that was how I fell in love with some songs. But like, it, it's so funny to hear this piece of comedy then be done in complete earnest. And, and mm -hmm. that... I guess that is probably what happened with the Kinks song because I'm sure I heard Yoda oh, before yeah. Lola. Definitely, yeah. And there's and there's a lot of really great ones, and there are some that I I, I guarantee you that I can name the Weird Al song, but I can't name the real song still. Oh yeah, I know. So this is another uh, piece of music comedy, but we're going to transition out of spoofs now, just doing uh, into a miscellaneous uh, category of. Uh, different places Star Wars has popped up where you you either might not expect it or just where it's had an impact. Uh, and we're going to go into Saturday Night Live. And normally I put in uh, audio clips after in the post-production of this podcast, but I really wanted to see if I could get this one live off the floor. This came uh, maybe five years ago when Natalie, Re when Natalie Portman returned to host SNL for the first time in quite a long time, and they produced something called Natalie's Rap 2.0. Shit. Say something about the motherfucking prequels, bitch. Good. Say something fucking nice about Charger Binge. Now kiss him right on his 17 dicks. What? While I sit dead on your face and take a shit. 
it is confounding that they got her to do that once, much less twice. But it's important to note that when they cut to that new flow of Natalie's rap 2.0, she's then dressed up as Amidala again. They've got her in full makeup, full Phantom Menace hairpiece, which I think she actually dons in the first movie. It's not Alkira Knightley, right? Like she she definitely puts oh, yeah. on the full the full rig in Phantom Menace. But like yeah. at least 15 years later, maybe 20, they got her done up again. And she's talking about Jar Jar Binks, seven dicks and taking a shit <laughs> on your face. And it's just, I mean, obviously that's the gimmick is just how outlandishly perverted it is. Um, and it's, it, it, it's magical. It's wonderful. Well, and that's the one. Oh, I just thought of one that would be really great for this category. I wonder if you'll bring it up. Okay. Um, because I've been struggling to come up with them, but this is a great one. Because um, she has not done things. She didn't do things beyond uh, The Phantom Menace. She's not somebody who's, sorry, not The Phantom Menace, the prequels. She's not somebody who's stayed connected with the Star Wars right. community. Uh, and she's only, I mean, a lot of people didn't really acknowledge the, the prequels very much for their involvement in it because of all the backlash they got during. Uh, and she was one of those people and she started to acknowledge it a little bit more now, which is always nice. And I think it's just one of those things that it's 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 also good to hear the lines being directly about like, fuck off Jar Jar, leave him alone. Yeah. I knew Ahmed best. He was a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Say something about the motherfucking prequels, bitch. It's just yeah. mean Natalie. And you're right. They flow into that uh, verse. Uh, Beck Bennett asks her if she's seen the new Star Wars movies. I guess this is probably just like post Force Awakens. And she says, no, I haven't. And then he starts to say like, oh, they're way better than. And she's like, what are you talking about? Don't go there. And then that's essentially the whole verse. But it's really hilarious. Nice. Uh, OK, uh, pivoting out of that, although we do have uh, strangely a Saturday Night Live tie in because the big story this week is that Elon Musk is going to host that show. And it's confound oh, wow. confounding to everybody. Like wait, being a billionaire means you get to be uh, celebrity now. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but did you know that the SpaceX Falcon rocket series is named after the Millennium Falcon? This is a pretty big oh, deal. Didn't. Like there are real, there are real rockets in space named after fake uh, spaceships from fiction because Elon Musk was a Star Wars fan. And like that, it, putting aside like what we love from popular culture, that's beyond popular culture. That's real culture. And that is perhaps one of the boldest examples of influence on the world. When you invent a spaceship with your imagination and then there's a real spaceship named after it a few few decades later, that's amazing. That is pretty damn cool. And uh, Falcon of all things, I mean, fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. Don't know uh, if it screams modern cutting edge tech, but uh, Falcon on its own certainly does. It's, uh, it's more of a millennial Falcon though. You're right. Teslas don't look anything like Millennium Falcons. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> not so much. Uh, and then this one doesn't exactly count, but I put it in my miscellaneous category because I think it it kind of signals to all of Star Wars fandom just the existence of things like Wikipedia, uh, the expression, may the fourth be with you, um, uh, just the term Jedi, um, 
the vernacular that Star Wars created that does permeate beyond the movies themselves. It's like you just you can't live in this world without having people say Star Warsy things or like make Star Warsy puns in coffee shops at the tip jar or just like I don't re- necessarily think that this totally qualifies for my list, but I wanted to acknowledge those two in particular. May the fourth be with you, which is coming up, and uh, Wikipedia as these these things that really actually have nothing to do with Star Wars. Star Wars did not create them, but a fan base made them because they had to exist and that's another version of influence oh absolutely and star wars's influence i mean like you said you just named off a, a bunch of great influences on uh on culture itself right or in, in, like wikipedia is i would say is probably the most famous of the the wiki extended uh categories probably and it's really comprehensive and really well curated. Like, I'm also such a big fan of Back to the Future, but Futurepedia sucks compared to Wikipedia. <laughs> like, it's not very well maintained. There's plot holes in it. And I mean, it's it's when you get into the extended Back to the Future uh, universe, it's not as tidy as, as Star Wars has. They've been very careful about Star Wars, especially in recent years. Only in recent years, really. The, yeah. the legends got pretty crazy, and that's the reason as to why they came up with canon. Now it's nicely just done in, in two tabs on Wikipedia. Right. Uh, and so here, here's the contradicting legends and here's canon and or in some cases it's the lies in between. So I'm going to move into a category called uh, sitcoms. And uh, sitcoms are interesting because they're essentially just televised uh, uh, Sunday comic strips, right? There are these little like nuggets of commentary that follow the misadventures of people that you feel comfortable with and you love. And so it's especially when they go on to create 100, 200 plus episodes, there are going to be for sure Star Wars references among them, unless you're creating a sitcom that takes place in some world where Star Wars isn't a thing. But that's almost not what Star Wars is. And so I, I have five really essential to me Star Wars references in sitcoms that I have in my life been a fan of, but this would be the category where, of course, I'm missing them because Star Wars references in, say, Seinfeld or, I don't know, Everybody Loves Raymond or whatever are going to be all over the place, and I, I couldn't get them all together. But I had to signal out How I Met Your Mother because Star Wars is all over that show. Barney having multiple different Stormtrooper suits in his in his home. Um, there's a whole episode of How I Met Your Mother later in the series, which it's probably the most Star Wars-centric episode because the whole plot tells a bunch of different alternating timelines for those characters in three-year increments. Uh, And the plot device is that every three years they get together and quote-unquote trill it up, which is to say they watch the original trilogy back to back to back and they're at different junctures in their life each time. And so there are many, many Star Wars references in that episode in particular. Kids, here's the deal with trilogy time. It all started a long time ago in a dorm room far, far away. Dude, if we fail this econ final for the rest of our lives, we're not going to be able to... We won't know how to... Do you even know what econ is? No idea. We're screwed. There's only one thing left to do at a time like this. Watch the entire Star Wars trilogy all the way through because I haven't done that in like five years. Dude, you can't let that happen. If you're not trillion at least once every three years, the dark side wins. Okay, let's make a pact. No matter what, every three years, we sit down and trill it up big time. Agreed? Agreedo. The fact that Ted's favorite movie, notably throughout the series, is Mm. the original Star Wars, that it's his sick day movie, 
that when he gets engaged, uh, it's an ill-fated engagement to to Sarah Chalk's character. She has to lie to him and say that she liked it, even though she didn't like it. And that ultimately becomes this big character flaw about, about Stella, that she didn't like Star Wars. Um, and I think probably the fact that Star Wars is, is so prominent in How I Met Your Mother is just a really great example of it being incredibly important to the creators of that show. And, and that's kind of what this whole podcast theme is about, is these creators had to talk about how much they love Star Wars, and so they used their thing to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that there, the sick day part was one I certainly remember. I, I kind of forget about the the trill the trill it up episode. It's a great episode. You uh, should watch that. Yeah, no, I mean, and and it would be hard not to. And that's the thing, Star Wars. There are people who get into creative mediums, and they're still doing their shout out to Star Wars because it was something that likely inspired them at some point along the way. Uh, I know that uh, the Russos, who have to their name the most successful movie of all, oh, next to Avatar. Sorry, because James Cameron had to kept, keep re-releasing. Doesn't it, but... count. That's cheating. Yeah. So, but with like with Endgame and Infinity War and uh, uh, Winter Soldier, all these incredible, uh, huge box office hits, they still find ways to do like Star Wars shoutouts in those movies because, oh, yeah. in their hearts. That's still their number one. That's still the thing that influenced them the most. And that's something that's going to be consistent across the board for a lot of people of a certain generation. That's the reason why so many people love the original trilogy and why a lot of people, uh, although they shouldn't, uh, were very angry with the prequel trilogy because it wasn't the same. It was, and then that gets to a whole other can of worms, but it's because it was so influential for them at a certain period of time. Yeah, there's a great device they use in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, uh, where Steve Rogers has now come into the modern day and he's trying his best to keep up with stuff he doesn't understand because he's from the past. Like a very famous Captain America meme is, I understood that reference because it's him like being proud that he like gets, he's starting to assimilate into the, the new era. Anyway, he keeps this running list of pop cultural references that he has to catch up on so he becomes properly a part of this society. And he's got a movie list that he references a couple of times on which is Star Wars slash Trek. And so that's example an example exactly of what you're talking about. And thank you for mentioning the Russo brothers because they have a whole episode of Community titled For a Few Paintballs More, which is largely a Star Wars uh, pastiche. It's kind of the second part of their paintball saga uh, fistful of Paintballs, which starts out as a spaghetti western spoof, and it kind of transitions in its second half to be much more Star Wars uh, satirical, which is a natural progression because Star Wars is a natural progression from the spaghetti western. Um, and so it, there's a lot of really easy gunslinger, Han Solo, uh, Abed somehow managing to be a, a <laughs> cool, sly motherfucker stuff in that episode. And a Star Wars fan would, of course, I mean, it's one, It's honestly one of the great sitcom episodes of our generation, um, the paintball episodes of Community, and the Star Wars stuff in it is, of course, evergreen. Absolutely. That two-parter is, those are the two best episodes of Community, probably, and some of the best episodes, sitcom episodes there are yeah. uh, of, the, of the generation, like you said. Uh, there's not a whole lot more to really say on that. Those ones are absolutely hilarious. And I, I totally forgot that I, I didn't even think of that reference, but uh, it really is. Uh, yeah, uh, Abed steals the show on that one for sure. 
listen, might be the most popular sitcom of all time. There's a whole episode of it titled The One with the Princess Leia Fantasy. Early series friends, maybe late season two, early season three, Ross and Rachel are together for the first time and they're just going at it like bunnies. They're loving it. And there's this story where Ross is a little uh, nervous over the idea that Rachel is sharing intimate details of their friendship with her gal pals. And so it gets spread around the group that he has this Princess Leia Return of the Jedi fantasy. And then he's made a little bit comforted by the fact that every guy of a certain age is super into Princess Leia and the gold bikini. And um, at the end of the episode, Rachel, Jennifer Aniston actually puts on the gold bikini and she, does she wear the gold bikini? I think she does. There's also, I can also picture her in like the white smock with the buns on the side of her head. And so I think there's a Jennifer Aniston costume change in there. But like, yeah, there are few slapstick costumes in Friends over 10 years, but that's one of them that, that jumps out at me. And, and Princess Leia is in the name of the episode. That's a really great point. Another one I totally forgot about, but an, a great reference uh, and, and one that makes sense. And like you said, it's, it's one that it's, it's, it was so consistent. It's so known in pop culture that you were able to put that in the title and people aren't questioning it or finding it weird. Right. It's just, okay, this is a plot point because everybody gets the reference. And even people who haven't seen Star Wars, they're still going to, they're going to get the reference by the end of the episode. And then they're going to get that reference and know it forever. So it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's uh, yeah, that is a funny episode. Another one uh, is an ongoing uh, joke that recurs through the series, and it's uh, all based around Eric Foreman's love for Star Wars and that 70s show. So early, early in the series, and this is, if you're making a show about teenagers in the 70s, it's so genius to start an episode with. They just got done watching Star Wars for the first time. They're at the drive-in, and like we pan across all the characters' faces, which is kind of a thing that they did stylistically in that 70s quite a bit. And... In that first episode, it's not just Eric who's crazy about Star Wars. Kelso is also completely gobsmacked by what he just saw. And so that's really exciting. There's a later episode where Billy D. Williams actually has a cameo where he plays the uh, the like pastor or like the reverend of a church and uh, Eric and Donna either want to get married or or there's some kind of thing where they're like having to convince the 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 priest or the reverend that they've been celibate because that's how they can convince him to to marry them and uh I th- or maybe i'm confusing that with another show but i do remember that eric hits it off with billy d williams by saying that star wars is the greatest movie of all time and uh reverend billy d agrees and so that's kind of a a fun meta joke it's another episode and i don't remember uh what what leads to this but um Eric references Luke Skywalker and Red just flies off the handle. He's had enough. He's like, Luke Skywalker this, Luke Skywalker that. I'm so sick of hearing about that fruit. And I've still got Red saying that burned into my brain. Amazing, (laughs) constant original trilogy references. I mean, I guess just A New Hope references in that 70s show. Yeah, that's a great point. It is just A New Hope. And yet it still was able to to permeate and, and show just how big it could be at the time and how big it was. Uh, and the fact that that one movie on its own changed pop culture so much. Uh, but yeah, another one that I forgot all about. I haven't seen that 70s show in forever, but uh, a very funny show. And my God, Eric Foreman was obsessed with Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, as he should be. I'm not so sure uh, Donna didn't also put on the white Princess Leia smock at some point. I can kind of oh, picture that. Oh, that sounds about right. Yeah. I think probably for the same reason. Uh, Maybe listen, Halloween. One of my other uh, favorite sitcoms of all time is 
Parks and Recreation. Uh, and there are a few Ben Wyatt jokes you could, he's probably referenced Star Wars a number of times, but the one that jumps off the page is just one episode featuring Patton Oswalt, which is now kind of iconic. He's just told to vamp while his character is, uh, what's the word filibustering. for filibustering? Um, <laughs> and this is pre-Force Awakens, but it's post-Disney acquisition. And so they really just have Patton Oswalt kind of step outside character because he's not playing somebody so different from himself. And the idea is that the character is just going to uh, share with the group uh, some of his ideas for J.J. Abrams to take if he wishes when he goes on to make Star Wars Episode Seven. Let the filibustering begin. I would now like to share some ideas I have for J.J. Abrams' seventh chapter in the Star Wars saga. Pan down from the twin sons of Tatooine, we are now close on the mouth of the Sarlacc pit. After a beat, the gloved Mandalorian armor gauntlet of Boba Fett grabs onto the sand outside the Sarlacc pit and the feared bounty hunter pulls himself from the maw of the sand beast. Famously, Patton Oswald just ranted for like 11 minutes. And at the end, the whole crew had to cut and clap and he needed water. And it, some of the stuff that he says is absurd. And he opens on Boba Fett crawling out of the Sarlacc pit. And then he he incorporates the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all, yeah. all kinds of bananas. But it's it's a great moment. Oh, it is. And because you don't expect it. And right. it just goes on and on. And it's something that like as as nerds we totally get it and we're like okay this is ridiculous beyond ridiculous but this is hilarious <laughs> and it's because it's the sort of thing that you're like yeah i'd want to do that too right. i don't want to listen to what you're talking about in this stupid meeting let's just talk about star wars for a little bit here well and i've, and, s I've seen as an ask reddit question a couple of times if you just woke up and you were five minutes from your ted talk and you had to go on stage what would you talk about and like, I think we all have an answer to that question. Like if you had to just vamp for 30 minutes or whatever, you could do it, but you might as well pick something that you're really comfortable with and passionate about, even if you kind of come off looking like a lunatic. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. And Star Wars would certainly fit the bill for uh, a lot of people. Got a couple of, uh, in the childhood category, a couple of movie references that some of which are totally obscure and silly, but they've resonated with me and some are a little bit more obvious. Um, a couple that you and I have discussed off microphone include the whole Buzz Lightyear daddy issues thing in Toy Story 2 with the evil emperor Zerg. And so we, we have heard of Zerg uh, in the original Star Wars, but now he's in a character as a toy when they visit Al's toy barn and they're being hunted down by him. And of course, Buzz is having an identity crisis or something. And mm -hmm. then they're in the elevator shaft and Zerg actually says, I am your father. And Buzz says, no, and he falls down the hole. And then in the end, he makes a joke about like, playing catch with his dad or something and the whole zerg character is a darth vader reference like just these yeah. a, a stiff robot who talks with this like modulated deep voice and i guess that makes buzz luke skywalker or or just generic action hero in space but zerg, generic space ranger right uh but zerg is explicitly darth vader of course yeah, absolutely. And uh, the way that it kind of opens in on Toy Story 2, where it's that like video game and it's yes, like, that's a good really point. intense. That's kind of cool. But yeah, in general, this is one of my favorites. Uh, and when you asked me uh, when you like about this topic, this was 
the one that stood out to me above all else. And there were a couple why. other like tiny ones, but this one was the only like the one that really stood out. And when I was making like trying to make a list, I was like, I, I have one. Um, <laughs> but this one was that one. And uh, it, it there's there's a couple more that we, we have talked about. But yeah, this is a, this is a great one. Uh, I love Toy Story. They're some of the best movies ever. And so it was nice to get a little bit of Star Wars mix in there. And you would think you'd have some Star Wars ish action figures. Buzz Lightyear is kind of the closest thing. And or you could say the little uh, the little uh, aliens from Pizza Planet. They look a little like Yoda. Yeah, I wonder if they're at all uh, based on Yoda. They're just called little green men, and they wear like little space jumpsuits, and they have three eyes, which is strictly not a Star Wars thing. But you're yeah, right. But they, they have the ears are similar. They have green football heads. Like it, they definitely kind of feel a little Yoda derivative. That's a good point. Listen, this this also takes me to uh, a, another obscure movie that I mean, it's not obscure. It was really implicit to our generation, but it's nowhere now, and it's the Indian in the cupboard, and so. This is a movie in the 90s is based on a book from the 80s like a like a young adult book about a fairly like lonely little boy who lives in the city and for his birthday he's gifted an antique wooden cabinet which is very bizarre. He's just like yes. he's given this box this wooden box I guess to keep his toys in and so the only other like uh, uh gift of note he gets from his birthday is this little Native American action figure from his buddy. And so he decides to put this little action figure inside the cabinet and when he opens the cabinet the little action figure has come to life and that's the whole premise of of the story is that this cupboard is magic and it turns inanimate toys into living things and he eventually like befriends the little native american uh and and the star wars reference in this movie is so minute and yet mm. meant so much to me because in in testing the magic of the cupboard he puts in a bunch of toys. So not just this little action figure. He's like takes all of the stuff from his toy box and stuffs it inside just to see if it'll come to life. And sure enough, all of them do. And one of those toys is a Darth Vader action figure. And that's, I mean, I think maybe they incorporate like a little uh, heavy breathing, like a little Darth Vader sound effect just to like kind of create that. But there's no Star Wars dialogue. He doesn't. Um, directly reference this toy in particular. It's just part of like an onslaught of toys that's like also like a Jurassic Park dinosaur and like all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but the Darth Vader of it all really stands out for a couple of reasons. One, if you discovered you had a magic cabinet and you're a little boy, the first thing you're putting in there is your Darth Vader action figure. <laughs> yeah, and, and our toy lightsabers. Exactly, because the little Darth Vader has a little, and he create and he, with his... Omri creates with his magic cabinet the world's tiniest real lightsaber and it's just for five seconds but yeah that's that was a really impactful star wars reference in a movie that i will maybe never see again in my life oh absolutely and another one that's such an important one that i absolutely love uh because he also closes the door immediately after i know he created a mini dinosaur and i was like oh my god <laughs> Because of all the things he wants, what he wants to do is he's trying to get an axe uh, or a hatchet or something. Right. And so he, or, or a, something, but he's got like a knight and he takes the weapon from the knight mm -hmm. and then closes the door. Right. And so that he's got the weapon that was attached to the knight's hand as an action figure that he can give to, there's now a working weapon that he can give to his little Native American action right. figure. Right. Why not take the lightsaber? <laughs> I don't know. Do you trust that guy with a lightsaber? 
Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, he's your friend. Yeah. And if you're going to make one for yourself, it, of course. Yes, absolutely. Give me the little lightsaber for uh, my my magical friend. Having not seen it since I was a kid, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some stuff that doesn't age especially well in that movie. Like the title? Certainly the title. <laughs> and I, I don't know what kind of like cultural stuff they reference about that character. Um, but the core premise of it is very cool. And I almost like, I don't know anything about the author of the book. We read the book when I was in grade four and then we watched the movie as a class. Like if that author's still alive, it would be so dope if he wrote a sequel now. Like if he yeah. if he wrote it like through this like Disney Plus. Like Omri has a kid now and like the same thing happens again, but like in twenty twenty one, like yes, Disney Plus. Like that would be pretty interesting to me. Uh and that has nothing to do with Star Wars. But like I think that there's something uh evergreen about the premise of like the toys come to life. I and mean, we just talked about Toy Story as well. You just have to kind of like find a new angle. Yeah, definitely. And the other one is even more stupid, but you know what? It stayed in my brain. And it's similar to Indian in the Cupboard. Um, it's just when they're gearing up in the first Spy Kids movie and they go through uh, Antonio Banderas's, uh like spy equipment and they open a drawer. Maybe it's, maybe it's actually Machete's spy equipment or something. And the little ginger-haired boy just finds a tiny lightsaber. And, you, oh, yeah. okay, I was about, you You did just make a face of confirmation because my next thing was going to be, I'm not sure this is real or if I just dreamed it because I tried to find the YouTube clip today and I can't find it anywhere. And I'm not going to sit through all of Spy Kids again to try and find it, but it's real, oh, is it? I, yes, I watched the deeply terrible Spy Kids a few years ago. <laughs> uh, and that is real. I think it happens at the uh, safe house. Okay. Yeah, which is Machete's they a, house. They take a sub No, they take a submarine to the safe house and then they fly to no, they some someone takes them to Machete's house and they fly from Machete's house. Um that's about all I can tell you. But anyway, so yeah, the, it's this little like lightsaber that's like this big. It's the like a little like a little little long. dagger and a, similar to Indian in the cupboard. Like I saw this as a kid and I was like, that's a new take on lightsabers. Like you could have like a little dagger. And it's just a joke. It's just like a little Star Wars reference to indicate that like the secret spy organization has all kinds of cool James Bond like gadgetry. Um and as we know, Robert Rodriguez, who made those movies, is a Star Wars fan. And now he's a great Star Wars maker. And so, like, he did actually have, like, kind of a sick little Star Wars reference in that otherwise very dumb movie. And now he's totally legit in the Star Wars uh, family. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be getting some, I mean, talk about full circle, uh, the man who will be bringing Boba Fett back yeah. uh, in, in full style. So that'll be very cool. Uh, and likely we'll get to see the, mo the moment of the hand coming up from the Sarlacc. I've only got a couple of more, and these are mostly just from like really iconic movies, movies that are almost as big of a deal as Star Wars itself. And I, I'd be surprised if if this first one isn't one that you thought of when you were brainstorming for this theme, because mm. it's 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 the most important Star Wars reference to me, and it's Marty breaking into George McFly's bedroom yeah. in the radiation suit, and he says, "Silence, Earthling." My name is Darth Vader. I'm an extraterrestrial from the planet Vulcan. And we cut, yeah. to, cut to the next morning. 
and George runs up to Marty in a in a gas station parking lot and he's out of sorts and he basically tells him way too much information. He's like, listen, last night Darth Vader came down from Planet Vulcan and told me if I didn't take Lorraine out, he's going to melt my brain. And Marty's just like, all right, stifle there, buddy. And there's actually a deleted <laughs> scene in in between there where it runs on a little bit longer the night before. And Marty actually chloroforms George back to sleep. And maybe they cut that uh, oh, yeah. for the right reasons. But it's it's funny because it's a movie about time travel. And like that 70s show, it acknowledges that there was a time before this. And... Mm-hmm. And the whole thing about George McFly in the 50s is that he would love Star Wars. Like, all of these references are exactly up his alley. He just hasn't been introduced to them yet. Uh, and so if you can exploit that in order to get what you want from the character, it becomes this really fun uh, device for Marty as a traveler through time. And plus, there's just the comedy of him blending uh, sci-fi universes. So he makes a Star Wars reference back to back with uh, Star Trek universe. You could also argue that he said extraterrestrial, which might be yet another '80s movie reference. Um, and mm-hmm. so, and because Steven Spielberg worked on on that movie as well, and so it's just a wonderful sci-fi joke in a sci-fi movie. Oh, absolutely! And then it's the book that George McFly writes at the end. It's got right. <coughs> It's got the Darth Vader on the cover, uh, and so or not actual Darth Vader, but you know, uh, yellow jumpsuit Darth Vader, uh, and yeah, that's a that's a great one. And so that was another one of the ones I could come up with. Those were uh, those were the the three I could really think of, uh, because of course, Back to the Future is uh, another thing we grew up on with almost the same depth uh, for Star Wars as me, and a deeper depth for you. He's already muted, mutated into human form. Shoot it. You mutated son of a bitch. Amazing movie. Amazing movie. Uh, this one is also a really broad topic. I don't have a lot of specific examples, but Star Wars references in basically every Kevin Smith thing of all time. Uh, famous, yep. Famously, there's the conversation in Clerks about the engineers who have been like contracted with making the, the Death Star. Uh, there's stuff in Chasing Amy. There's a whole uh, act in Zack and Mary Make a Porno where the first movie they're going to make is is a Star Wars. Uh, I forget what they had some like dumb porn parody name for it, but like it was going to be like a like a Han Solo porn movie with Seth Rogen, which is so perverse. But I wanted to mention this because Kevin Smith is the king of just wanting to make movies because he loves movies, and in particular, like just talking on the stuff that he loves in specifics and in movies there might not be a purer movie fan than than kevin smith and that's that's a world where quentin tarantino works because because kevin smith is actually no razzle dazzle it's so sincere and Mm -hmm. that makes him impossible not to love oh kevin smith is beyond lovable and his love for star wars is so pure and the way he he cries about it uh it's just it's yeah you wish that you could have the same kind of emotional reaction to the way that he does. And he was in the rise of Skywalker. He was in the force awakens, which is just so awesome for him. And, uh, it's, he is the, the ultimate fan. And the fact that he gives the constant show notes, it's nice that star Wars was kind of able to give those show notes back to him. And his relationship with JJ is obviously the reason for that. Um, and I think that that's uh, absolutely was a, a solid move done by JJ because there's nobody who uh, has listened to Kevin Smith for more than a half an hour 
doesn't know that the man loves Star Wars and that he is just uh, passionate to uh, not do a fault, just nope. to purity. So within the Star Wars extended family, which is to say into your Spielbergs and even your Harrison Fords, I, I do know that you know Indiana Jones a little bit better than me. And so I was able to come up with two Star Wars references in Indiana Jones. And I wonder if you could name either one or both of them. Oh, wow. Probably not. No. The more obvious one is in Temple of Doom, where there is actually a nightclub called Club Obi-Wan, which is so oh, yes. so on the nose. And it's I Harrison did know Ford. That. It's Harrison Ford is right there. It just seems if I was making that movie, I'd be like, there's no way we're doing it that obvious. That's way too on the nose. Yeah, that one is super on the nose. I, I did know of that one. Let's see if I knew of the other one. Much more two? Yeah, much more obscure and Easter eggy is in uh Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indy is, in fact, retrieving the Ark of the Covenant. You can see in markings on the tomb, uh, among the little characters, you can see uh, our etchings of R2 and 3PO. Like, they've they've carved the droids into the, the like, deified uh, walls. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that's, the way, that's the way it should be a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's right. Uh, there's a lot of shared actors in between those series beyond Harrison Ford as well. Yeah. Listen, this is the last one, and I uh, we're already talking about Spielberg. I mentioned E.T. a moment ago. I actually think this is really important. When they go out on Halloween and E.T. sees Yoda from across the street as like another little kid dressed as Yoda, and this is just a few years after Yoda became like a, a cultural icon, but like E.T. gets excited because he sees another alien. And that's yeah. like really cool because Yoda doesn't look anything like E.T., but the audience understands that these are both aliens and like, it just kind of makes Yoda all the more real in that E.T.'s canon. E oh, that's true. E.T. is in, uh, in the prequels. That's a good point. So E.T.'s creature exists in the galaxy far, far away. And that's where he, he crashed from. Yeah. So like in the E.T. story isn't canon per se, that earth is in the galaxy is, Okay. Connected. It just goes regard. one way. Um, but it can go one way. I mean, it could go <laughs> two ways, but you would have to, uh, that would be implying that their race has, has lived for a long, long time. Right. Which is possible. I just think it's a really special thing. And the, and the, it is the Halloween stuff in ET is some of the best stuff, like all the Reese's pieces stuff and everything. But like, um, I, that one stands out to me. I just think it's really cute that he sees like another alien and it's a small alien. Like it's a child. Like he's been hanging out with all these children and I haven't seen E.T. in a long time, but I think that's very cool. Listen, that's all I could come up with. There are allegedly like references in Close Encounters and and uh, in fact, all kinds of uh, Spielberg stuff. Like it, we could we could talk all night, but those are the ones that I either remembered and were important to me or I found them and they seemed significant enough to mention generationally. Can you think of any other Star Wars references outside of Star Wars that are glaring ones I, I missed? No glaring ones. Uh, and then I'm, I'm sure there are glaring ones in terms of the, the overall pop culture, but like you said, in terms of the things that have impacted us. Uh, the only one that I really kind of thought of while we were doing this was the MTV spoof of uh, Anakin, You're Breaking My Heart with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, good one. That's a great one. That one was hilarious. Yep. And it was like, you got barbecue sauce on my robe. <laughs> that's that's a fabulous one. And it's like, 
I remember that kind of blowing my mind in terms of editing and something that's comparable to it. And I think it was for the same award show another year is the Council of Elrond. Jack Black, Jack Black getting like a cock ring at the Council of Elrond. <laughs> And yeah. it's 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 just like a, an editing trick. But when I saw both of those sketches for the first time, it was amazing because like we have Natalie Portman like being choked and it's all the Mustafar stuff, but also Jimmy Fallon is there and it's kind of convincing. Or maybe to watch it back now, it would be terrible. I don't know. No, I don't think it is because the backgrounds are just blue screen. And so they just blue screen them again for yeah. Jimmy Fallon and put him in Hayden's costume, basically. The, now the backflip that he does is literally his body just like rotating right. on the screen. But for the, the rest of it's good. Really good one. The list is endless. We'd love to hear yours. Uh, of course, if you want to send us some either YouTube clips or just uh, some memories you have of where Star Wars cropped up when you didn't expect it to, of course, we'd love to, to hear your thoughts. Uh, what's going on in the news? Not too many things, I don't think. Really not too many things at all. Um, in addition to uh, the rest of the Kenobi cast, there's Maya Erskine who's been added from uh, Pen15. And yep. so she plays uh, a high schooler in an adult body. But that's, is that correct? Is that Pen15? Dude, Pen15 is one of the most special shows I've seen in years. It's on CBC Gem. You should totally watch it. It's yes, it's right. So her and and uh, her writing partner and her like scene partner um, have created this show, and it's about being in junior high, high school in like two thousand three, two thousand four, which is exactly how old I was when I was in uh, those grades. And they are thirty something year old women playing thirteen, fourteen year old girls in school, and all the other actors are actually thirteen and fourteen. And it somehow completely works. Like, it sounds like it's just going to be a gimmick and one joke and it's going to be, like, kind of boring or, or I mean, the point is, it is super awkward to be those ages. And so they're really no less awkward than they would feel anyway. And the show is incredibly moving about friendship and, like, there's a whole episode in the first season about, like, the culture of uh, AOL and IMing people, MSN Messenger and stuff, and, like, how how you'd behave on that sort of a forum and it was shockingly relatable it's it's a really really cool show and maya has like started to appear in some other things she was in amy poehler movie on netflix last year um she's like a good actor and she like looks like a 32 year old woman or whatever she is but like mm. she's a great a great comedic performer and so if they want to give somebody some some funny lines or or even have her do some funny stuff definitely it's going to work in the Obi-Wan show. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, like you said, uh, somebody who's got some comedic capabilities, that's something we always need in Star Wars. And there's a lot of comedic chops already in this cast. So uh, I'd be very interested to see uh, kind of the way this role shapes up. It, great. It's, it's not a small cast, but then again, it also could be a very small role. And there's going to be some of these people that have been announced that could be very, very small roles. Right. Um, not too much else. The Bad Batch is starting May the 4th, as we know. The first episode is 70 minutes or 71 or 75 minutes long. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's lengthy. And uh, there's a lot of uh, leaks through Lego and toys around what will happen probably in that first episode as a major plot point to kind of spur on the rest of the show. I don't, I won't say it doesn't really matter and we'll get into the show and, and you can kind of see it then. Um, but it, it, it should be, make for kind of an interesting dynamic as 
the Republic shifts to the Empire and uh, this kind of clone squad takes on their new role. Also in the commercial, there is uh, this little girl. I think we mentioned her maybe once in the past, um, but there's a lot more known about her now. Uh, she, her name is Omega, is the character, and she appears based on an emblem that's on her forehead that she is also a clone, maybe uh, a clone of Django Fett that oh. turned out female, who knows? Wow. Um, or part of a different project. But this is a, a human clone that was cloned by the Kaminoans. Very, very like that's pretty, that seems to be the information that we know who will be taken probably by the Bad Batch um, as a, as they kind of defect from the empire. So that's what it looks to be the way that those first couple episodes are going to shape up that they're going to realize that this new regime is not what they want. And then they're going to meet uh, an interesting character and it's going to spur on a, a new kind of story there. So that should be really interesting. I, do I detect that you're not as psyched about this show as I otherwise might've thought you would have been like, you don't seem, Oh no, like, I am. Oh, okay, great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you are. Cause it, I would have expected you to be. Yeah, I am. I, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I'm just I'm very curious. Uh, the Bad Batch arc wasn't my favorite arc of uh, season seven, but it was still good. And I think they're going to be, I think the show is going to be a lot more than what we saw in season seven of The Clone Wars, that little arc from the Bad Batch. I think these characters are going to get fleshed out a lot more and we're going to really start to gravitate towards them. And the supporting cast is likely going to be very strong. I see this as being... And it's 100% a spiritual successor uh, sequel to the Clone Wars TV show. But uh, I'm expecting it to be that in, in more than just uh, the, the feeling. I expect it to be to feel that way and to have storylines that really extend beyond these main characters. And then if that's the case, then I'm expecting I'll, I'll, I'll thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. If it just sticks on these characters, um, then I it'll be interesting to see what the format is like. I would be surprised if it was uh, as big or as long, much of an epic as much as the Clone Wars was, right. in which case there's nothing wrong with that. It just it would be a little bit of a different sort of show, which would be a little bit surprising as to one that's so clearly a, a sequel show. Right, right on. Anything else? No, that's pretty much it in the news. Cool. Everything's kind of gearing up for May the 4th, which we'll probably get a lot of cool stuff dropping. In addition, obviously, to the Bad Batch, uh, there'll be probably a lot of releases on um, merch, new content, maybe some people who are getting involved in Star Wars in new way, shape, and some forms. And so that'll be exciting. I want to say happy birthday on Thursday the 29th to Irvin Kirshner, the Empire Strikes Back director who's no longer with us. And on Friday the 30th to Phil Brown, who played Uncle Owen in A New Hope, who's also no longer with us. So uh, a couple of late fellows who gave us a lot in the original trilogy, having birthdays this week. If you have any thoughts about like pop cultural moments where Star Wars uh, appeared and you think that I really screwed up by ignoring them, please uh, let us know. Tweet at Recorder66 or email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on all major podcast platforms. Uh, please rate and review us there, as well as on YouTube. If you could like and subscribe, that would be a big help. And until we are together again, may the force be with you. <laughs>